0: There are funds who will support diverse founders. You've just got to look out for them and and network and hear about them, but it requires extra effort. And that's what what it shouldn't do, right? It it should be like, if you have the right product, then you should get the funding. But as we know, those gaps are not closing quick enough, but I'm, I'm definitely seeing a shift even in the last two years.
1: Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor, the podcast on a mission to raise aspirations and inspire the next generation of category-defining founders. From purpose-led entrepreneurs to Olympic champions, you'll learn firsthand from today's successful listeners on what it takes to be brilliant, all in just 40 minutes. Today, I'm joined by Eleanor Kay, Executive Director at Newton Venture Programme, a joint venture between London Business School and Local Globe VC. Newton Venture Programme is on a mission to ensure the next generation of VCs represent the world we all live in by running programs for people from overlooked or underestimated backgrounds who want to break into VC or accelerate their career in the sector. Social mobility and diversity and venture are topics very close to our hearts at JBM and we're huge fans of the work that Eleanor and the Newton Venture team are doing. So I'm really grateful that she's joined us today for a chat to share her story, mentorship and industry insights with you. So Eleanor, welcome to 40 Minute Mentor. How are things?
0: Oh, really well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. The rain has just cleared up, so I'm taking that as a good sign that this is a good time to chat. <laughs>
1: Definitely. And I have a rainbow right outside my door, which is a fantastic sign of uh, of what to come. So I think we should just dive straight in with some kickoff questions, which we always like to do. So Enla, can you finish the following sentences after me? My first job ever was?
0: Oh, that's taking me back. So my first ever jobs, so I've worked throughout my whole education from when I was about the age of, I think, 13. And my first job was a waitress in a local pub, I grew up in a horse racing village, and I think I was being paid about two pounds fifty an hour. And uh, <laughs> on on the day that horses were came in big, that was the day the tips were good. But I think you know after after that, I sort of I worked while I was travelling. Um, in fact, I used to sell accidental death insurance in Australia a long long time ago. Oh wow! <laughs> I got washed, but I think if you're talking about my first ever job, it was. my sort of step into my career. I got a job as a PA in a music distribution company. It was probably the best job to get as a young sort of 22 year old. Gigs and fun galore. It was certainly an experience. (laughs) Uh, I worked with some really interesting people. Yeah, it was great. I got to go to gigs all the time.
1: Well, that would have been my perfect job. I love live music and spent a lot of of my youth going to gigs and uh, seeing lots of live stuff. So I'm very jealous. Next question.
0: Brilliance
1: to me means?
0: Brilliance means to me being self-aware. I think someone who's brilliant listens well. They share their own knowledge. They're open-minded and curious, but they acknowledge their own limitations and, and they're clear on their own boundaries. And I think that is brilliance
1: in my own mind. That's a great answer. And self-awareness is something that a fair few leaders I've met along the way have not always been, but also so many brilliant mentors that have come on this podcast. I think that's one of the real superpowers that I've seen is a consistent thread of a lot of the the best people we've had on have been very self-aware. So that's a fantastic answer. Thank you. A misconception people have about me is...
0: (laughs) I, that i have it all together this is far from the truth uh <laughs> i you know i think on paper people think oh wow you you know you, you're executive director you're running a business you're working in some really in- interesting industries your network is is incredible you're a mother of two you're balancing, you know, your social life, your career, motherhood, I think that's just the tip of the very busy and crazy iceberg. And, And you know, this being a father yourself, like there's, there's so many things to balance. But I, you know, I think it comes to the whole sort of social media thing, what you put out there is not necessarily what the truth is. And I think it's really important not to form opinions or judgments on people when you just see a snippet of their life, whether that's on LinkedIn or Twitter or or whatever social media you're on.
1: So true. So true. The the, the swan analogy is very accurate for me a lot of the time. But <laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't even think I'm that graceful above water anyway, but there's lots of plates spinning you know, consistently beating myself up about not being, not feeling like I'm doing anything justice. And yeah, I think a lot of people think if you're you're running a business, you've got it all sorted, but that's often not always the case. (laughs) Finally, can you share something that we couldn't learn from your CV? So that could be a perceived failure or a setback in your career, but something that you've learned a lot from?
0: Totally. So I hinted at the fact I was a mother. 22 months of my career was spent looking after the hardest managers I've ever had, my now five and three-year-old. And then I, I was so grateful to have been, had the privilege of taking 11 months off work to be with them when they were newborn. But when I came back from pre- both parental leaves, I was given roles that were like way beneath my capabilities. And my confidence was low. And I accepted the roles very gratefully. And actually, I should have questioned the positioning of them. And this was a huge setback for me personally. And like I said, on paper, people would see progression. And I saw setbacks and you know, I think that's something that potentially parents who take parental leave and especially extended time off have to contend with. Although I think we're protected a lot in the UK, there are things to be done and said that to protect mothers who come back from parental leave.
1: It's a really, really important answer and a a really good one. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like this is going to be a really interesting conversation. and I'm very excited. I want to dig into all things Newton uh, venture program, but before we do dive into that, I know you haven't had the most obvious path to VC. So, can you share a quick overview of your CV? Tell us a bit about yeah what you did before, and ultimately what attracted you to Newton in the first place?
0: Totally, yeah. Like you hinted out, or like I also explained earlier on, I started my career in media. I worked in music, TV, film, comedy. And my dad was in the media industry when I was growing up, and and when i was 15 i got some work experience in a post production company in soho london and it was exhilarating for me all i did was carry around massive reels of film across soho it was very manual but i loved it it was exciting and you know probably one of my funnest summers and and i from then on i just like tr- attracted to the excitement of the media industry and and fell into music and i was in gigs and then went into comedy production and TV production and all working in operations functions, so running offices or, or studios. And that was really cool. I wasn't on the creative side, but I was really good at getting things done and processes. And I kind of fell into this operations side of things quite early. The, fa- <laughs> the failure or the one of the annoying things about being very proactive and good at getting things done is that I often automated myself out of roles. So often with no obvious progression path in front of me you know I was always managing teams reporting directly into MDs and CEOs I would end up being sort of forced into leaving roles to get better salaries more responsibilities and after I left the media industry I joined Money Supermarket which is an online comparison site and I and I really loved it there I really enjoyed myself I enjoyed the team it was sort of my first sort of Experience with SEO and the importance of customer experience, and and I was there through the merger with um, Money Saving Expert and and what happened with them, and you know that was really exciting times. But I was headhunted for a operations role across um, at Palantir Technologies, and I was offered like full autonomy, managing a team across year lots of opportunities to travel the world, and to be honest, it was it just sounded dreamy and. I think what I hadn't expected was the biggest learning curve of my career. I was working ridiculous hours, six days a week, working with some of the smartest and most difficult people, sometimes not coming home for more than a few hours or even days at a time as I was traveling so much. But it was so impactful on me as a person and a worker because you were consistently challenged and the... the sort of responsibilities put on you were beyond, you know, you could even imagine. And the better you were, the more responsibilities you were given. And so your growth was just exponential. And I I loved that. I loved it for that. I loved being, you know, working and and solving what they call the world's hardest problems. So that was really exciting. And then Newton. So I left Palantir and was sort of taking a step back. I really wanted to consider what i wanted to do with my life i was becoming a very sort of small cog in a very large machine at palantir and i missed the human impact the human capital element of of the world and i was approached for this role at newton as a head of operations and it was ticking all the boxes and one of the things that i was most excited about was the learning again learning about an industry that i hadn't particularly even known about around venture capital and I was able to utilize all my skill sets and and it's been nearly 2 years I've been there and I've I think it's the first job where I've felt fully fulfilled pretty much every day so in that respect I can't really uh, complain <laughs>
1: yeah i mean that's not something everyone can say about their jobs let's be honest obviously it's a you know you'd come from a different background before so was it quite daunting to move into uh, you know an organization like newton a relatively unique business it'd be good good to sort of learn a bit more about it but also i would love to understand how you felt making that transition into the venture space um how how did you overcome any initial nerves or imposter syndrome you may have felt
0: i think everybody has imposter syndrome there's an element of uh, maybe denial but I think you can own it. And I think that's why I'm like the perfect poster child, perhaps, for Newton's goals. You know, can you be taught venture? And here I am. I'm two years in. I can talk pretty competently around venture capital. Like everyone else who does our programs, I've learned with them. I'm part of a community and a network. And I think that's been something I could own. It's made me one of the cohorts and cohorts. and it's okay to not know everything. And actually it's what you put into our programs. That's what you get out of it. And I was absolutely loving learning again. And that's part of the the powerful thing around providing learning and development programs is that you can learn with people and there's always something new to challenge your perspectives or ways of doing things. One of the nice things around venture capital is that you're not only exposed to the venture capital industry, but also all the portfolio companies that they are dealing with, such as ag tech and health tech and fintech, and all the up and coming technologies that are coming out of the life sciences. And that's really exciting. And I think that's what drives me is learning not just about how to be a good investor, but also about the emerging trends that are coming through technology.
1: Amazing. I'm sure that our listeners are are teased into wanting to learn more about Newton, but we're going to come on to that. But before we do you obviously joined as head of ops and then have progressed into an exec director role um, so what does your day-to-day look like in that position and uh, and how did you find that transition from a pure ops role to this uh, exec director role
0: great question so full transparency i still handle all the operations for the business <laughs> and i only recently uh, handed over running the program to our new head of product about three months ago so I guess you could say I've been very busy. I think the, the shift to exec director is around thinking about the strategy and the growth. And I'm meeting a lot of people and getting out there and, and talking about Newton to the people who matter, the people who haven't heard about venture capital. And how can we tell people who potentially venture capital would never have even become on their, come on their radar that this is a potential career path for somebody? and so i'm just trying to get out there spread the word not necessarily that it's it's a, a sales technique i'm actually quite passionate about what we do every day in opening doors and and building opportunities for people who perhaps wouldn't have had that without us but also sharing the word a, on on a, on a broader scale i think Perhaps the, the new generation of venture capitalists we're, we're training are more impact focused. And I think that's potentially due to the messaging that we're putting out there. And, and that's quite special. So the tra- the transition is slow. It's been over a year since I've been executive director. And, and I'm hopefully going to be handing off the operations in the, the early of early 2023. Gosh, where is time going? But that might be quite interesting to take away the part of my skill set that I'm so proud of that I've built up over the years. So it would be, yeah, it would be an interesting period for me.
1: How would you say your operational background has helped you in this role? It'd be good just to dig into that. Because there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that are are from ops backgrounds. Um, so it'd be good good for them to hear a bit about the, I guess, where you can take that skill set.
0: I think if you've been working in some kind of ops function you learn pretty quickly to make decisions at pace and i always say this to my my colleagues you know if you if you propose an idea to me and i look a bit affronted it's because my brain not only looks back to what we've done in the past to changing those but and the sort of risk management of that but also it's it's working always sort of 10 to 20 steps in the future about what the impact would be and it does take me time to process these things because I can't think without thinking about the next steps. And I think that's a massive superpower. Like I think powered with someone who is a creative or someone who is very innovative, your ops power are are the kind of things that perhaps creatives can only dream of. And so I think you, if you realize your own potential and, and like I mentioned earlier on your limitations, you can position yourself as a superpower in itself. Like, how can I support you in building out a company? How can I use my skill set to help drive the company through its hyper growth stage? And that's basically what I've always done. I've always been brought on to accelerate processes, make them happen, whether it's, you know, opening up offices across the whole of Europe and Middle East and and building out all the processes that make things work efficiently so that the workers there don't have to think about anything to building out a company that had no sort of processes in place at all to being fully functional profitable business. And I think if you're self-aware enough to understand like what your skill set is and how that fits into a business model, then you can sell yourself really quite efficiently because a lot of people hate this stuff. A lot of people really hate the nitty gritty detail. And, you know, I think about the amount of times where I've thanked my past self for being diligent because I haven't, (laughs) I've gone, oh no, I haven't thought about this. And then I've looked back and in my neat folder, I've got X, Y, Z, like risk management folders I can just pull out. But, you know, it might seem very careful and considered in your approach, but I think those are the people that will save you from a bit of a a, a nightmare in the future.
1: I'm interested. What made you want to go for, like you've clearly built this real deep specialist skill set, which is stood you in good stead throughout your career. You've continually progressed. You've worked in hyper-growth organizations. You've gone into this new organization. You'll clearly use that to good effect. And now you're handing that off. To it and doing this new role, which has a very different flavor, albeit I'm sure there's there's some crossover. So, what is it that has made you go? Now is the time to pass. And I know this is part of progression, but I'm asking this for because I know a lot of operators who just want to always do ops, so they're happy being a CIO forever because that's what they love, and they really don't want to be forward-facing out in the industry fundraising strategy doing all that sort of stuff I'm just interested what is it about for you that made you want to make that leap and for others listening that maybe you don't have the confidence yet to take that leap of faith and sort of evolve that skill set further what would be your advice
0: to them I think perhaps because my main ambition isn't to be the person in power I haven't sat there going you know this is this is my trajectory it's kind of happened quite organically and actually I'm quite good at it I'm quite good at the the people aspect of it and the building connections and partnerships. And it's perhaps something that, because I haven't got that potentially overzealous way of attacking partnerships or sales, it means that it's less imposing. Like, I, I think it's just a case of I maybe have a more practical way of thinking about things that isn't all about one goal, it's a sort of the long term. Solution to a problem that I'm quite passionate about. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's going to be the making that decision that I needed to hire someone to support me. I mean, my first step was getting a PA who is my lifesaver. I never ever thought I'd be in a situation where I'd need to rely on that. But honestly, without her, I, I wouldn't know what I would do. And it's kind of how I think about hiring around me anyway. I hire people who have skill sets that I don't have and have different ways of thinking because they compliment me and make me think better and challenge me. And that's basically what it's got to be. It's got to be a hiring that will take on the operations for business, but do it better than I could. And that's quite hard to say when you are a specialist. But the only way you're going to get great people is by allowing them to grow and develop under a safe umbrella. And that's all I can ask for is, is our next hire in operations is that they are able to grow and and own things in the way they do things and that you know i also don't really have time to sort of sit there and say you haven't filed this absolutely correctly in the way that i would do it and i don't think that's good for anybody micromanagement is is the squasher of any talent but you know that transition is going to be hard for me but it's exciting too and i can only think of great things that will happen for newton when i have i've got that time to grow and in my own role
1: awesome yeah sometimes it's about putting yourself out of your comfort zone isn't it and, and a lot of the best leaders I know have sort of taken a bit of a leaf of faith and it's about kind of pushing themselves to the, the next level and, and adding strings to the bow and I think your operational background and the leadership that comes often in those operational roles I think will stand you in good stead so and you're clearly doing a fabulous job already but hopefully that will inspire others that might be keen to make a similar sort of uh, move. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode so far. But before we continue hearing from today's mentor, I wanted to take a minute to give a shout out to our series sponsors, Alchemist. Alchemist is an industry-leading learning and development company using immersive and interactive experiences to help increase employee engagement, levels of happiness and achievement across your teams and overall productivity. Alchemist presents L&D departments with an opportunity to innovate and be bold in their approaches to blended learning. If you love the sound of this as much as we do here at JBM, then head over to thisisalchemist.com forward slash 40-minute mentor to learn more. And now back to our 40-minute mentor. We touched upon Newton, but let's jump into that now. So can you tell our listeners a bit about what the Newton Venture Programme is all about? And how did that partnership originally come into existence between LBS and Local Globe?
0: Sure. And, and what a great partnership it is. I mean, the amalgamation of, of top decile VC practitioners and some of the top uh, faculty from London Business School coming together to teach people. I mean, this is the creme de la creme of, of teaching and development courses. So they, they basically, Local Globe, were looking to increase diversity in the venture capital ecosystem. And we can talk a bit about that later. But essentially, they want to do that by upskilling folks and teaching them about venture capital. And LBS were looking at creating a venture capital program but wanted to find top Decile practitioners to also come and teach as a part of that. And so somebody connected them both and like you're you're both looking at doing similar things. Let's create a joint venture and and Newton Venture Program was created. They were meant to launch their face-to-face program back in 2020. And we all know what happened in 2020. And so there was a a big pivot to delivering an online program in early 2021, which is when I I joined. And so the online program was launched first. And that's a, a sort of for aspiring tech investors, founders who potentially want to know how venture capital works, industry specialists such as doctors, lawyers who want to invest themselves, and so we built something that was sort of globally accessible and inclusive it's a 10-week program online live sessions applied learning in groups like outside of the sessions and you get the insights from practitioners in the VC ecosystem and and faculty as well who deal with the sort of I guess the life cycle of venture capital and it's been very impactful for the folks who have taken part And we're now at sort of 240 people who have taken part in our online program so far. And we finally were able to do our VC fellowship, which was a six-month program face-to-face at London Business School. And I thought we were building like really strong community and network until I saw the folks from our fellowship get together. That's been a a massive win for me. Face-to-face learning is so impactful. Working on Programs and, and learning from each other in a in an environment that's you know allows you to to voice your opinions safely is is pretty awesome. Like I said, you get hands on learning, helps develop yourself personally in both programs. So you think about like you know what is your personal investment thesis? What would you be interested in if you were looking to invest? And like you may have thought, oh, I really want to get into venture capital, but never really thought about what areas and if your background is in deep tech potentially that would be a good place to start with investing and that's just making you start thinking about your your plan going forward and sort of set you off on the right path and we're also uh got a stem to stem to vc initiative where we're encouraging folks with stem backgrounds to explore venture capital applying the skills you know le- learn in the lab and uh, applying them in the vc world and we ran a sort of day exploratory day last week um where we had 30 PhD students come and learn with us around venture capital, and that was that was really empowering because they could see they're all students learning at the moment, but they probably didn't really know where they could go next if they didn't want to, you know, stay in the lab. They might want to go and use their STEM superpowers in venture capital, and, and that was really cool too. And you know, we've got a thriving, helpful, supportive, newton network. People connect online, in person. Uh, four syndicates have been created by alumni and they've started making investments, building that track record. Some have moved into VC. Some uh, start angel investing. But I think anyone who sort of takes one of our programs, or some have taken two because they've gone from the fundamentals to the fellowship so far. It's the people who throw themselves into their learning, that get the most out of it. And that's been really exciting. So I've seen people just thriving, and, and Newton's all about championing our fellows. We shout about them, and you'll see if you go on our website, you see we focus on on them in the part of our blog. And just by sharing people's stories, and this is what you do, can just empower people to take their next step. And it's such a powerful notion. You never know, like how that person's life can change because we've shared about them on. LinkedIn and all of a sudden someone picks them up and it's 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 such a powerful sort of and very low lift thing you can do for people which is it's really exciting
1: yeah I I absolutely love it I think it's it's you can really see the impact Um, okay you've already you've referenced some of the great results and you know outcomes off the back of the program and and I totally agree I think by shining a light on some of these sorts of things you can inspire in ways you never expected to and and all it needs is for one person to see something that, that they just needed to see on that day at that particular time or hear about it from somebody else and it can totally change the course of someone's life and career and I think that's one of the things we're trying to do with, with 40 Minute Mentor is is shine a light on on important programs like Newton and important topics and and, and share inspiring stories to play our part in, in providing some inspiration so yeah love that absolutely love that i mean there are going to be people listening to this that juices are flowing very excited about the potential of uh, getting involved can you tell us a little bit about how the application program works because i know you run a blind recruitment process so what does it involve have you got any advice for anyone that's looking to apply that is hearing you today
0: Totally. So, like you mentioned, we use blind hiring. We use a company called Applied, and using that allows us to mark questions without any biases. So, we don't see anyone's name, where people went to school, they, which country they live in. That's got absolutely nothing to do about whether you get on one of our programs. We want to see people with unique contributions, someone who's motivated to learn and willing to collaborate and, and share with each other. And I think, you know, perhaps. Going back in a full circle back to being my, my definition of brilliance, that's kind of it. It's like, how can we build a cohort of people who are bringing diverse opinions, are challenging everyone's sort of best practices and ways of thinking and bring the greatest minds into the room? And that's that's part of our process is we ask a couple of, um, I think it's three questions for the Fundamentals program. And you don't have to have any venture capital experience for Fundamentals. We welcome any experience to it. And we, we've trusted in the process. And by doing that, it means that nearly 50% of our cohorts are female. And over 80% are from overlooked and underestimated backgrounds. Whether that's socioeconomic, gender, ethnicity, disability, sexuality, it shows there's just not a pipeline issue here. And so people are getting through and onto our programmes and, and the, the metrics kind of show that, which is really exciting because it means that the people in the room. Are willing to work with each other get on well share experience share sector resources and you know they've all got different ways of thinking and that's quite exciting to have that kind of fire in one room where everyone's sort of like wanting to learn and share from each other i think that's that's really cool applications are opening very soon actually so um you know if you are interested you can look us up on uh, linkedin or our website uh Newtonprogramme.vc. So um you can sign up there to find out when they're open. And you know don't don't think because you perhaps don't have a typical background about venture capital that you're not welcome. That's that's actually far from the truth. We would love diverse experiences and backgrounds to join us.
1: A hundred percent. And I think there's still a lot of um in VC there's a lot of similar types of profiles let's say that are investors. And I think the more diverse, the more representative of society the VC landscape is, the better for everybody. I really do believe that. I think they'll get more access to sort of diverse founders diverse problems that need to be solved and I think that is good for, for for kind of society at large you've touched upon it there but Newton's doing a huge amount for diversity and inclusion for social mobility just things that I I hugely admire but there's still so much work to be done I guess I've just Touched upon some of the challenges that I find in the industry about groupthink. But what do you think are the next steps that VCs and also broader tech companies who suffer from this as well need to think about to kind of help level that playing field even more?
0: Yeah, I should mention, you know, on top of programs like Newton, uh, there is included, especially in the UK, there's included VC and future VC that are doing this, this sort of similar type training and, and breaking down, down those barriers, which are so important. There's also great pledges like Diversity VC and All In, which people can sign up to. But to be honest, that's like preaching to the converted. It's really the pressure that everyone else needs to put on the people who are not really fully switched on to how important it is to have diverse voices in the room, that that's what needs to happen. I do think the pressure is building. Uh, It's hard to ignore. But there's a lot of people who are let's say tick boxing in order to get you know people off their backs. But I think the pressure is rising and the more we can upskill folks and shout about them and get them in places where they potentially would never have got, then we will see change. But it, it is slow at the moment. Yeah, I, I I
1: can, yeah, I totally agree. I think a lot of these discussions are focused on the point of entry so the focus on efforts to attract diverse talent, we hear this all the time from our clients um, in our jobs, day jobs as headhunters, but there's less conversation around the retention of diverse talent in, in organisations and how they progress within within organisations, which is often one of the reasons why diverse talent doesn't uh, stay in companies and there is a nutrition uh, challenge. So can you share some thoughts on this? Have you got any advice for anyone listening about how we can do better?
0: Look, you've hit the nail on the head, you know, 85% of GPs are male in in Europe, read a report from the European women in VC in May of this year. And it's a wider conversation, but essentially, if you don't feel like you belong at the top, then you're not going to stay around very long. And I wish I could fix it. It's not a pipeline problem, as I've shown with the way our recruiting is going for our, our cohorts. But it's about the people in the power who are like need to shout about their junior employees who perhaps are, are, are a tick box diverse hire, which is not how people want to be hired. They want to be hired because they're the best for the job. And then amplifying them and moving them up through the business so that the people who are in the room or around the boardroom table are bringing diverse opinions in. But I find it, it it's very frustrating. And I'm a white woman. And... You know, I have so much privilege with being white, but as I spoke about earlier on, that that privilege was taken away when I decided to have children, and so there are so many issues around diversity. I just don't know whether I, there's something. Business leaders, please, please hire better. Use blind hiring. Use amazing, you know, recruiters and give them really stringent hiring metrics you know, before you even start conversations with potential applicants, you should have a diverse pipeline and a diverse first round. And it's got to start there.
1: Yeah. I think everyone has to work harder, don't they? Work harder, go deeper. It's not an excuse anymore. There isn't diverse talent out there because that's just not true. And I think we've all got a part to play in doing our bit to ensure, like from a headhunter perspective, like we have a role to play in terms of diversity in our shortlist. But I think organisations also need to be tougher on themselves as you say making sure that they are when it comes to executive hiring they are sometimes and this is one of the problems we, we're we running some searches in the b2b SaaS space which is notoriously in the commercial side notoriously male dominated um, and at some point there aren't enough cro's or cco's women in that space or they're not and and but it's kind of a self-perpetuating problem <laughs> and uh, and so one of the things that we're really trying to do is is sometimes it is taking a chance on an SVP or a VP who's not made CEO yet but giving them the opportunity to have that role and then shining a light and amplifying that story and, uh, you know, trying to encourage others down that path. I think it's just, it's been hugely frustrating to run some of those searches because just people haven't been like women haven't been given the opportunity. And I think that example can be used in lots of other contexts. So I think, I think there's, there's all a lot we can do there on the VC side. You know, lots of reports have shown that the funding gap. Isn't closing as fast as it needs to as well. So, have you got any ad- advice for any diverse founders that are listening to this that are maybe currently fundraising? What would you say
0: to them? Even in my short time in VC, I've seen an increase in funds with a focus on supporting diverse founders. So, that's a huge difference already, which is awesome. And, you know, we just have to keep shouting about it so that diverse founders can see where they can go to get that funding. They obviously have to have a great product as well but you know it's, it's sort of you know there are spaces now that are being held for diverse founders and and I, I think that's you've just got to do a bit of research and, and in fact you know we shout about them a lot at Newton about these amazing amazing funds that are doing great things like Cornerstone VC, Blackseed VC, Overlook VC they know like there are funds who will support diverse founders, you've just got to look out for them and, and network and hear about them. But it requires extra effort. And that's what, what it shouldn't do, right? It, it should be like if you have the right product, then you should get the funding. But we, as we know, it's those gaps are not closing quick enough. But I'm, I'm definitely seeing a shift even in the last two years
1: that's good to hear and hopefully we can continue that trend more generally looking to the broader state of european vc what are your thoughts on that why should diverse talent consider a career in vc and what other things are you excited about in the industry as a, at large
0: so i've seen drives like from the european innovation council and are actively like funding innovation with grants at the moment i think what we're seeing is like different ways of getting funding whether it's crowdfunding grants or I think people are getting clever to finding funding without having to necessarily bootstrap or, or go through a VC to start with. Just given them that kickstart. I've seen, that, I mean, it's a huge uptick in in deep tech and, and STEM based innovation. And, and the more I see sort of these kind of exciting drives happening, the more we're going to see a shift there. And I think if you know, your question around like diverse talent considering a career in VC, those with interesting and unique contributions would make, you know, excellent investors. If you can identify solutions in a problem base, you know, you're sort of seeing trends where people might miss them. Someone's deal flow could be an excellent source to a fund, you know, consider your unique experience and your unique position in the world and how that could be of use to a VC firm. I think if you can see, you know, and not only what your positioning is, but also what your talents are, and this is, you know, going back to what we're trying to do at Newton is help people develop their own investment thesis. You might not have ever thought about what you can bring to venture capital, and perhaps you can, you know, even do this with any kind of career. If you if you feel solid in your base and what your skill set is, you know, you can you can sit there in a in a job interview and and explain why you'd be a great person or a candidate in any industry. You've just got to find your own positioning in the world and, and have that confidence and, and awareness of where where you know, where you can provide support. and I think there are a lot of barriers around jumping into VC, you know a even knowing what venture capital is. you know if that's never been part of your world, then why would you have even thought that that was a possible career? Then it's it's network. You know, if you're if you're potentially introverted, that could be quite difficult to break into venture if you are not that great at being a people person. But there's always ways around that. I know quite a few venture capitalists who who blog, or they or they speak about their you know specialist things online. So they they are building up a really good rapport with people, but potentially don't have to do those quite nerve-wracking networking events. And even financial barriers. You know, there's options around. Sweat equity now, or syndicates where you could potentially put in a little bit, or even try a little bit of angel investing or crowdfunding. You know, there are barriers, but I I think it's worthwhile investigating how you can provide value for a company you're interested in without having to provide financial support. You know, if you've got skill sets in other ways, you could be a researcher, you could be you know, providing talent that way in, in exchange for equity, get creative, get resourceful in the way you're thinking about investing. And, you know, that's what I would say. If it, I know there, there are barriers. I really hear that. But we, I think we can break those down slowly and surely by thinking creatively around investing.
1: Great advice. Thank you, Eleanor. We're sadly at a close, but in one sentence, what do you think the future holds for Newton?
0: I think Newton is about the people and the community we're building and soon we're going to be teaching people who have been through our programs you know five six seven eight years from now we'll be teaching their folks of the future and i strongly believe in that network and in community and the growth of, of of newton through our human capital development and i think newton will be on the map for a very long time
1: amazing really excited for that i think the impact will be huge if you could be mentored by anyone dead or alive who would it be and why
0: i've been lucky enough to hear reshma sahini speak a number of times through our program and also a couple of events i've been to and she's an absolute powerhouse she's a partner and co-founder of seed camp c stage VC firm and i love the way she describes how she can grow and develop multiple you know hundreds of portfolio companies through her skill set and I find that so powerful and inspiring so I'd love to hear more from her on a, on a mentor type basis. Hint, hint Reshma please.
1: <laughs> Great shout and Reshma is somebody I'd love to get on the podcast at some point so we can hear more of her amazing mentorship. Finally what's the best piece of advice you've ever received that you'd like to pass on to our listeners today?
0: I think it's around making mistakes or failures I remember getting so worked up about mistakes or fate or, or, or things that I've, I did wrong in the past and they could they re- they really hit me hard in the heart I take things very personally and someone said to me you know the best thing you can do from failure is, is learn from it and move on and if that mistake is something that you know if you could foresee in the future am I really gonna be regretting this or, or, or thinking about this six months to a year down the line then just try and let it go you know you can you just need to own it learn it, move on so
1: true that's a great place to leave it for, especially for anyone that's making mistakes right now I've made quite a few this week so uh, I think so. there's a lot to be said about drawing a line on the things learning from them and, and, and moving forward and uh, that's a really nice nice way to end it thank you for joining us on Minute Mentor I Mentor it's been a real pleasure love what you do love what the, the programme stands for in Newton, and yeah really excited for more of our listeners to hear all about it and hopefully get involved so uh, thanks for sharing your story Thank you so much for tuning in today. Please make sure you check back in on Wednesday for our final episode of this series. This time I'm joined by Ellie Mackay, property entrepreneur and host of the hugely popular On A Mission podcast. Trust me when I say you won't want to miss this one. Here's a little preview of what's to come. What was quite a stable childhood became very volatile very quickly We actually had bailiffs at the door to repossess our stuff. It was very woeful Wall Street. It was very standing on your table, closing deals. It was high energy. It was fast-paced. It was big money. It was absolutely amazing. I just think everyone deserves a second chance in life. Your business can only grow at the same extent that you do.